geeks and cinemaniacs. From the heart of Hollyweird, California, at the epicenter of all things eerie and awesome, it's time for Charles Band's Full Moon Freak Show. My next guest is not just an accomplished writer, producer, director, and actor. He's also a brand unto himself, a contemporary master of horror. Eli Roth's first feature film, 2003's Cabin Fever, immediately established him as an auteur in the genre, a reputation solidified by the success of his merciless, blackly comic 2005 film Hostel, and its even grislier sequel. Along the way, Eli has given us such savage films as the Italian cannibal film riff The Green Inferno, the remake of Death Wish, with Bruce Willis taking over for Charlie Bronson, and even the family fantasy film The House with a Clock in Its Walls. As an actor, you know him from Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, where he played the Nazi clubbing Bear Jew. More recently, he ushered his hit documentary series, Eli Roth's History of Horror, to the small screen. Roth is a true multi-hyphenate, and we're excited to have him on The Freak Show. Eli. Welcome. Thank you. It's Thank a lot you. of spiel. You've done so much. It's endless. I try to keep people guessing. Like, <laughs> what do you do? What are you? Are you a director? Are you an actor? Wait, I thought you – that's – I like that. I like to, you know, mix it up. And and didn't this all start with you, like, playing a chick for Penthouse? I mean, am I remembering some story where you, like – Oh, I, I pretended to be a woman for Penthouse right. when it was cyber sex. was a crazy thing. People <laughs> were spending 50 cents a minute to have sex with right. girls on the internet. But that was that was when I was about twenty, when I was at NYU Film School. Recently, but this, but the the horror obsession started. I mean, I was probably three years old when I saw the Flying Monkeys and Wizard of Oz. Oh wow! And I was obsessed with all things scary. And then, but I was at that age when VCRs weren't out yet. So I remember, like, my aunt Gladys describing Jaws to me. Like she'd come over for Shabbat dinner. I'd be like, "Tell me about Jaws." She's like, "Well, then the girl goes swimming and the shark bites her and pulls, right. you know." And I was reading the books, and I, I remember. I think I was six years old when I saw The Exorcist, and it traumatized me. But I, I remember very vividly when it was like, again, Shabbat dinner with Aunt Gladys. And um, I was begging my dad to go see Alien because I just saw the TV spots, and it just said, Alien, rated R. Right. And they were going over they that weird – the great spots yeah. with the egg going over that weird graph, like that yeah. that strange rope thing. You're like, what is this movie? Right. And I remember my dad said, do you want to go see Alien? So we went to see it. And, of well, course, my mom was like, you know, Sheldon. How old were you again? I was eight. Mm, it was too young. Yeah, oh, was for sure, too young. But <laughs> I was so intent on seeing it. And my, my parents were cool. My dad was a psychoanalyst and psychiatrist. And my oh, mom was wow. a painter. So the, my dad, but they'd grown up in New York City, and my dad had been at high school performing arts. He was going to be an actor for a long time. So it's strange that I've kind of followed in like the alternate career path of what my dad my dad had done. He'd been cast in a big show that this producer, Harold Clerman, was doing, and then he couldn't do it for some reason, and then he went into medicine. So they were wow. super supporters of, like, movies and the arts. I mean, my dad, when he was in high school, was right down the street from the actor's studio. So in high school, he'd see James Dean and Marlon Brando and, like, all wow. the... Like, wow. they were literally down the street from him. So we, I grew up with an appreciation for all of it. So And that big supporter, obviously, big later supporter, on of, yeah. of, your, so, of your career choice. So when we went to the movies, it wasn't like, oh, my kid wants to see a movie. It's like, okay, this is a horror movie, and this is how they did it, and this is the director. And I remember reading the credits, and it said, I was like, what's a productor? And I was like, I think I want to do that. And my dad said, that's the producer. And the producer has to find all the money. And then what is the – it's a directed by Ridley Scott. I was like, what does the director do? My dad said the director gets to spend all the money and tell everybody what to do. I was like, I think I want to be a director. And then I remember learning. Like, I mean, I was you know, 
uh, talk about a free show. I was the freak in Newton, Massachusetts. I was the only kid who knew what a director was. Let alone did, how did Newton come into this? This is where you moved? This or? is where I lived. This is where I grew oh, up. Oh, okay, okay. I grew up in Newton. And so, but there was no film connection. I mean, this is outside Boston, like heavily right, Jewish right, neighborhood. Right, right. Doctor, lawyer, business. Like, that's it. There's the idea of being a movie director is completely insane. <laughs> so, you know, but I remember it seeing on the credits produced and directed by and at your bar mitzvah, the rabbi says, you know, you have to announce what you want to do with your life, which is funny now thinking about that. And I remember they, he said to me, he's like, Eli, what, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a motion picture producer, director. He goes, I don't understand. Are you going to be a producer or a director? I said, I want to be a producer, director. Right. And the rabbi said, why would you want to do both? And I said, because it's the only way to retain control of your cut. <laughs> That's I was 12. You're 12. That's and I said awesome. this to the rabbi, and the rabbi's like, I don't understand what that means, but I'm writing that down. And I said, trust me, Stanley Kubrick says produced and directed by, and he's right. Jewish. And that right. was why I did it. I literally did it because it said produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I did it on my first film, and I wouldn't back down. But rewinding, I want to go back to when you were younger, like the eight-year-old dude who was taken to Alien. Yeah. There were VCRs at that time. You just didn't, weren't watching some of these movies first on on uh, on video? Oh. Because to see some of these classic films for the first time on the big screen is a rarefied experience. I mean, people today, the classics, no one sees them. There's, forget VCR. They're going to just go on Amazon and watch these movies. But going to a movie theater on the big screen and seeing some of the, the exorcists, any of these movies, was could be traumatic. Well, you know, this is 79-80. So, okay. the, so the argument was VHS and beta. Oh, and okay, nobody right, knew what right. was going to win out. And both right. of them were so expensive that I remember at a birth, there were two rich kids. It was Jeff Rendell and Greg Smith. And at their birthday party, <laughs> they had a VCR. That's and right. Greg watched Jaws at his house. And I was not invited to that party. Never forgot that. But Jeff Rendell, who is my best friend, uh, we, we would watch Creep Show. We would, we would mm -hmm. watch films. He had, the, he had a videotape of The Jerk right. and The Godfather. And right. to go to his house after school and watch The Jerk, which was R-rated, was Amazing. like, it was such an insane concept right. even cable there was one system called Starcase sure. and it had four channels it was like four movies a month it's like right. you can watch Rough Cut with Burt Reynolds <laughs> right. or like you know Take the Money and Run or some erotic film so it finally blew up in 1981 that was when right. Continental Cablevision with 48 channels including MTV and all this stuff came but I remember getting the VHS the, the machine and we, we could finally like my dad bought one and we went to Movies to Go which was the video store right. and we rented I mean it was like Caddyshack Clockwork Orange, I oh mean, Blues Brothers, Caddyshack and the Blues Brothers, I think right. we first do VHS. Wow. But I remember having a birthday party watching Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and we had to rent a VCR from this, because the stories would rent the players. Well, You'd have to rent the player, rent, and it was such a novelty. We watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. And like right. watching a movie in your house was the most insane concept. So then, when I was about 11 or 12, that was every single weekend. I just ingested all these movies that everyone's older brother told you about. Like right. the kid who rode the dirt bike and could pop a wheelie would sit there and describe Last House on the Left in Texas right. Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> Dio. And they had this kind of power over kids because they had gone to see like the gates of hell. Like these movies, you'd, right. I would obsessively look at the ads for, you know, visiting hours and all these films. <laughs> and then I was just like a garbage disposal. I ingested Anything. I yeah, would but go to the video store. You you're apparently like a film historian of horror films. Like you know all this stuff. But of of like the worst movies ever nah, made. Like I could tell you everything. But like I love these movies. But but the thing that was so funny is I didn't know that they were Italian. I didn't know that it was Umberto Lenzi. I didn't right. know that you know because they were changing the names and they well, were and, and they would gentrify 
the the uh, the names of, of the course. Italian dudes. I mean, isn't <laughs> yeah. it crazy that Sergio Leone, good the bad, it says yeah. directed by Bob Robertson. Yeah. You think of a French director, it's it's unthinkable. It's like the only Italian that kept his name was Dario Argento. Right. But I've talked but about that this. was later too. That know? was later. It was sixty eight seventy. But I've talked about it with those guys. I talked to with Sergio Martino. All of them, you know, Lenzi, Deodato, mm-hmm. they said that in order to make their movies mm-hmm. sell overseas, they had to pretend they were American. Absolutely. So in a strange way, they sacrificed their personalities. So there they're are these great auteurs right. that were pretending to be other people. So when you're watching Island of the Fishman, you're not, you know. Or which is one of the movies we have. Exactly. Yeah. It's so, which is a fantastic score by John Barry, yes. by the way. One yes. of my fa- uh, beautiful well, scores. My favorite composer. Oh, it's, but that John. My favorite composer. Really? Did you get Barry for like, that? For, I mean, were you involved in that or no. you just released it? No, that's one of the movies we acquired. You'd but, acquired, but, yeah. But, but the, I remember watching score. Island of the Fishman, which is basically yeah. a Lovecraft story. It's it released is. as Screamers in the U.S. You right. will see a human no, but, but we, turn inside we out. We put it out on Blu-ray as Island of the Fishman. As Island of the Fishman yeah, in right. that fantastic, fantastic story. But you'd yeah. never know that that was a Sergio Martino no. film. No. And there, so a lot of these films, these directors just sort of got lost. But I, but it was really like Argento, Suave, of course, right. these other right. ones. They'd, so it was it was this interesting time where it's, you know, before IMDb, where you watched Cannibal Holocaust and you thought right. that the director was probably in prison, that people actually died, <laughs> that I then, you know, got to experience on DVD and really Laserdisc, where I could re, where I watched, of course, Beach Bays from Beyond. Um, <laughs> You know, where on Laserdisc, where I could start to really learn who these directors right. well, were. Well, plus it was such, I mean, back then, such a jump in quality from VHS or beta, whatever yeah. you were watching. So going back, before we zoom into, like, the late 80s. Sorry, so I will, you can shut me up at no, any no, time. No, no, I no, no, I'm just ramble. in a gentle way saying. Yeah. So, again, I, I've talked about this, but the experience of being able to watch a movie at will did not exist prior to you know, whatever the hell it was, 78. Yes. Because when video came out, I, I had the first home video company on planet Earth, independent company. It was called Mita Home Entertainment. We had movies like Groove Tube and Tunnel Vision. Wait a minute, it was which one? Mita, and then it became Media Home Entertainment. It be, you started Media? Yeah, because it was originally wow. called Mita, and then wow. I sold it some years later, and Mita was the name of my first Okay, wife. Groove Tube was one of the first movies. Groove Tube, we Tunnel Vision. And I, had, I had a Tunnel Vision one sheet, because that yeah. sort of like predicted the internet, Tunnel yep. Vision. Yep. Uncensored and free. So back With then, my, my, whole, my whole thought was, you know, because I had an experience, again, I'm not going to retell the same story, but I had an experience where prior to Betamax, which there, that was the first, that was before VHS, um, there was no way to see a movie. So as a little kid, my dad, a filmmaker, took me wouldn't take me. He allowed me to stay up till one in the morning to see Frankenstein. I think I was mm-hmm. seven or eight, and it was just a mind-blowing experience. And again, this is Frankenstein snipped out. You didn't see yes. some of the cool shit because it was on KTLA or something. Yeah. But um, it was a memorable experience. And then through a long story that's not worth telling right at this minute, I made a movie called Laser Blast. Mm-hmm. I had some interesting people in it who were film freaks, and they had prints and this, that, and the other. And I teamed up with um, Roddy McDowell and um, a guy named Wally Hyder, who owned the Wally Hyder Studios in Hollywood many years ago. Famous bands recorded there. And and, and Roddy would, would, a, would be able to go to the studio, because he was a well-known actor, and borrow 35-millimeter prints of classic movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, Wally Hyder had a film chain. So we would chip in the money, and we would literally, the three of us, build a collection of wow. King Kong and Fantasia. <laughs> Luckily, the statute is long gone. So for about a year, you know, we would be sharing, not sharing, we'd each get our three-quarter inches before Betamax, mm-hmm. one hour, then a second tape for the next yep. 30, 40 minutes. 
and I would be able to screen at my home, you know, at will, wow. movies for my friends. And people freaked out. It was the most amazing experience well, for me first, because I was a collector. I had 16 millimeter threading the thing. But for friends who came over, it was like all of a sudden, every Saturday night, there were people I didn't even know. Hey, I hear this, that, and the other. So when they announced the Betamax machine, um, in I think it was 77, 76, 77, I thought, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. And the only way you could buy the machine in the first six months is you had to buy a huge Ben Cartwright console that the thing was yeah. in. You couldn't just buy a deck. You had to buy the freaking $2,000 yeah. with the TV, the big old tube, and which I did. And then shortly thereafter, I thought, okay, I, I'm not going to be able to afford to buy or license movies from major studios. So I went to all the, because I was making movies back then, mm -hmm. and I went to all the bizarre distributors I knew. And that's when I licensed everything from... I spit on your grave or later and Tunnel Vision, Groove Tube, Halloween, you know, all those all movies, the classics, all the kind of classics <laughs> of that era. And I started this company. And by 8081, apropos your story, mm -hmm. then video stores were popping up all over the place. And then the whole concept of rental it did not exist in the beginning. In the beginning, if you went to your local video store, the few that were there, you had to pay forty nine ninety five to purchase the French Connection. You couldn't rent it. The whole rental concept yeah. came later, right? And that was also. Well, I remember that. Yeah, thing. it was like people would pay a hundred dollars for Star Wars or well, Jaws or like you know the porn, especially the, the porn. Was yeah, the porn is very expensive. Ticket. Well, there were kids yeah. at school that would sell porn tapes. <laughs> like you have to like go and you, you'd give some kid a hundred dollars and come back with like a VHS tape. Right. Like that was porn was like incredibly expensive. So it was, and now it's free. You know, look, look how the world has completely changed. So going back to that era, you caught it at age eight because obviously I'm some years older where you actually were able at a young age still to rent and see movies for the first time on, yeah. on video. But then you saw Aliens on the big screen. Alien right? I saw on the, on the big screen. It, basically from 79 or 80 on, I would see anything I could, Outland, Alien, right, right, you know, right. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like I got to see Star Wars. Like I, I, I came of age, you know, the golden era of horror. You know, I missed Halloween, but sort of by 1980 when the slasher mm -hmm. boom happened, right. I was just old enough to start going to see a couple of them oh, right. okay, in the okay. theaters with my parents because they would have to take me. I mean, it's, you know, like my mom's <laughs> taking me to Prophecy. And I was like, I, the problem was I would get so excited and nervous, I would throw up in the oh, theater. No. And my, my mom was like, we can't take you because you're going to puke. Like I puked in Dracula, John Batham, I puked Prophecy. You I mean Coppola's Dracula? Or the, no, no, no. I mean the John Batham, the Franklin Jello oh, right, Dracula. Right, right. So. And then I had to go to Raiders with a faces mount and like prove that I wouldn't throw up. I was like, I didn't. And then after that, I became obsessed with special makeup effects. But there right. were certain movies that just weren't in the theaters That's when right. I wanted to see them. Like I remember renting pieces in Basket Case, and okay. it was like the greatest night of movies yeah. on my life. And even watching Caligula, you know, even the sex stuff wasn't good, but the decapitator machine was one of the greatest That's things right. I'd ever seen in a That's movie. Right. So it was great that I, I mean, Pink Flamingos. Like I just had a list of movies that I had read about. In now, Pink movie Flamingos, books. did you see that or was that a video? No, that was video. That because was my it, video, by the way. I had licensed all those movies. And a matter of fact, John Waters was here living. a few weeks ago. We were talking yeah, about Yeah, I saw that, it, yeah. And um, it, it was weird because in the early days of video, again, the most of the stores, this is before the big chains and Blockbuster and Hollywood, were Ma and Pa stores yeah. and pretty conservative people. So they got a colorful cover of a video, and I thought, oh, pink flamingos. And then, of course, they, no they, idea. they had no fucking the idea. And then people came back and explained what it was, and we got returns because it was on one of my labels called Wizard Video. Yeah, Wizard, of course. Yeah, that was one of my labels yeah, yeah, back yeah. in the day. And what was cool about Wizard, again, apropos your story about these Italian horror films especially, where they came to this country kind of redressed as something else with, you know, with all the Italian names gone, 
what I did, because I was a big fan, I grew up, you know, in the 60s and early 70s in Italy on these movie sets. <laughs> my dream. Well, we'll talk about that. But I mean, I dressed, I wore my Italian clothes for you today. <laughs> oh, good, thank like you. Vintage Italian. Bravo. Adesso possiamo continuare in italiano. Sì, tutti in italiano. Perché Va ho bene. capito che la sì. tua moglie è italiana. Sì. Sì. Non sapevo questo. No, la mia moglie è italiana. Ma tu lo parli sì. bene, bravo. No, non parlo Molto bene. Molto bene. No, 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 parlo, parlo con un americano. <laughs> no, no. Ma, boh. Vabbè, vabbè. No, That's mi, very no, good. La mia moglie è italiana. That is great. And where you're his wife for those Divin of you. Even friends. My wife's Italian. Right. Who don't understand. Di Firenze. Torino. Beautiful. See. Si. No, let's rewind. We'll get to that. So, um, so yeah, back around 79, 80, by then I'd made maybe eight or nine movies. I was starting my own distribution because I got screwed by all the, uh, the other mm-hmm. God of distributors. However, um, and one of my trips to Cannes, and because we were doing well with the video business, and I had launched this wizard video label, which was more cultish. And yeah. I, I licensed pretty much every cool Italian horror movie that you can think of right now. I mean, everyone from zombie to the, the whole the whole gamut. And I licensed them from one of two different uh, film owners back in Italy. And because most of the titles needed to be anglicized and most of the art was not very appealing for the video market, all those old movies that are now, I mean, I don't have that license anymore. That's mm-hmm. 40-odd years ago. Um, the, elsewhere, but a lot of that original art that I had created by some of the great Italian artists of the time, mm-hmm. poster artists, these were yeah. renderings, um, still survive. They're still now. I Where mean, are they? Well, I have some as a collection, but I'm just saying if you go and look at Demoniac and uh, Zombie Lake, you know, these Yeah, kind yeah, of, of well, course, beautiful. Yeah, those, that's the art that I had oh, commissioned wow. because prior to that, the Italian posters were, just not, were not great. But were, they're not great for this market. And sometimes the titles had to be changed. So I was like really deep into that. Did you have the that. double bill VHS or was that Continental, like the Executioner and Frozen Scream or the Slayer and Scalps? No, that's not me. That might have been Continental yeah, video. I don't remember. But anyway, so, but it is funny how, and then rewinding back to the 60s. I love that artwork. God, yeah, where's those, where's great. that original art? Did that any I survive? have some of it. Yeah, I have some of it. I've kept a lot over the years, but I've had really good stretches and terrible stretches. And when things get bad, you sell everything to who, kind of pay. Yeah, who were the first Italians? Did you, was it Fulci, Argento? Who were the, some of the guys you were licensing Both back then? Yeah, yeah. But no, but they didn't own the movies. I, I licensed these movies from the distributor filmmaker guys. You know, those guys never wound up owning any of those movies. Yeah, Later it was on, Luciano Martino. Wasn't it those guys? I forget. I, don't, I forget the name. But yeah, there was a lot of, if you look at Wizard Video, because the other thing, we didn't invent it, but we sort of borrowed it is the porn guys in 79, 80, they were coming out with porno movies in those big boxes, yeah, those the, oversized yeah, the, boxes. Yeah, with the trays, with right. the insert trays. And I love that size because, you know, more shelf space, yeah, which of eventually course. you couldn't do. So all those early Wizard Video movies were in those big oh, boxes. I, you know, I got to I told I'll give, Ro- I'll get Rog- you Roger yes. Avery has to cut, and Quentin Tarantino have a whole podcast called the Video Archives Podcast, right. and they nerd out about each label <laughs> and the size and if it's a tray. And I released all those movies. You released yeah. all those movies. And it's I bump incredible. into Tarantino every so often. I saw him in Cannes many years ago. Then he was finishing shooting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we bumped into each other at a uh, bagel shop, mm-hmm. like buying bagels. And he's such a cool guy. And, he's the and best. That, but he's kind of not here anymore, right? Isn't he? He's in Israel with his right. kids, yeah. And then right. he's back and forth, though. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, and that was a fucking great movie. It should have won. The, I mean, I don't want to get into politics because I never do, but no, it's, a masterpiece. Won the Academy. I, it's listen, a masterpiece. I still listen to the soundtrack probably every yep. day. It's amazing. Yep. It's you know, such a brilliant film. In, in 20 years, no, that movie will be nobody. No, up. nothing's no one close. will remember who won the stupid award that year. No, no one will remember. Now this is the greatest, and DiCaprio's performance 
where he's playing everything. like five different characters. Every, everything. everything about that movie. Well, plus brilliant. it must hit a chord with you as it did with me because it had that whole slice of Italian. He marries the crazy Italian actress, all those posters. Oh, by the way, who I was married to. That's my ex-wife, Lorenza. And we're still friends. What? Yeah, Francesca Capucci. Wait, stop. Yeah. No, there's another layer. Wait, like, are, are you for real? Is this, are you real? No, I'm 100%. Okay, she remember, I don't know Green shit. Inferno and Knock Knock. No, Lorenza Itzo. The girl who played... The girl who plays Karen? Francesca Capucci, who plays who plays Rick Dalton's wife right. that he meets Francesca. You were married to. I was married to. And I was so happy when Quentin cast her because she met Quentin through me and he loved her in Green Inferno and Knock Knock and read her for so Francesca. So let me get this straight. And he so cast her. So you got her. divorced from her. We, we split oh, in 2018, split yeah. Oh, and now you're with? And now I'm with Vittoria, who's so Italian. You, just Italian chicks. <laughs> well, she's, well the thing about Lorenzo, she's of Italian descent. She's Napolitana, oh. but she's from Chile. So she grew up in Chile, but her whole family is Italian. Same thing. Yeah, Latin. the same thing. Yeah, like, but her eyes, the whole face, like, you know, that, she's Italian. I didn't know that. Oh, no, and we stayed friends. That. Like, we divorced before. We're like, you know what? Let's Good stay friends, you. and we split. And she acted in House of the Clock on the Walls. And we were oh, like, okay. oh, no, we're all good. I'm really, really good. happy for her. Good I was for so happy when she did it and that she was like in the scenes with Brad. And like that, I had also done a Tarantino movie with Pitt and that she did one also. Like it's only Quentin could make that happen. Wild. So yeah. I'm, my, you blew my mind. I had no idea. So it's actually even But I loved than... it. But I loved, you know, and like that poster art and then, you know, getting the, the artist to create those. That look. That's, that, that's, that's my the original life. That was, my, that was the world I grew up in. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, there's, there's a guy named Christian McLaughlin who has all of those posters and he knew, like, got in touch with the, there's an artist. Yeah, there's a few different artists that we, we you know, kind of helped him find and he tracked down those guys. Those, those posters are amazing. They are amazing. And, a lot of the ones that I had commissioned for these now well-known horror films, the art was just the size. These aren't huge. Yeah. You know, this like literally this size was the, was the original Amazing. piece of art that they were able to. Uh, there was a father and son team, and they were the most famous, and they're the ones, I, I forget their name. It mm -hmm. starts with a C, but they did a lot of those. Yeah, I follow Enzo Shadi on uh Instagram. Okay. He's always got yeah, all the old, a, all like the like. Really no, he's really got all the old Fulci ones and like Death Box on High Heels. Wow. And, but those classic run of those Fulci early eighties ones. A lot of that he away, did all you know, those. That was the tragedy. A lot of that art I've, just gets. I've looked for all of it. I've tried to license it. It's just that's gone. Right. So I'm going to go gone. back just for a minute, just because we're talking about Italy, and that's where I because you know, I put Edvige Fenech and Luke Miranda in Hostel too, because I just wanted to work with them. That's they came out of retirement <laughs> to do cameos for me, and Deodato did a cameo for right. me because I'm obsessed with him. That's great. And I, I thought Cabin him. Fever was a terrific well, movie. Well, thanks, man. And I love the story. I've had a few like this in my career of you raising the money. Yeah. Producer director, right? Back to that story. Yeah, right. Seemed like a good idea at the time. It's, well, no, but you, I yeah. mean, unless I, I, I'm misinformed, you raised the dough. You made the movie, then you laid it off the Lionsgate and made yeah. a big chunk of problem. Well, that's fucking yeah. great. It's great. Your parents must have been super happy. Very proud. happy. Like, you know, you, listen, I know that background and, and I share part of it. And, you know, the fact that they weren't, you know, pushing you to be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer. They were the only ones. I mean, they, they were rare. the ones. And they got a lot of shit from people in the neighborhood. <laughs> the know. other parents were like, first of all, letting me go to New York City in 1990 to go to film school. It's like people still right. thought New York was the Warriors. You know, they had this image yeah. of it. From 1978, 70s, that, it was bad. Yeah, and but that stayed through the 80s. It, right. Like it's still Times Square was still dirty peep show. Yeah. It was still like you know, Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, <laughs> Romano Scavolino's film, or like right. you know, like a Fulci film, early 80s, like New York Ripper. Like that was still the vibe of it. Um, but my dad, not only that, I remember I we ran out of money and the union shut us down. My dad took all of his retirement. It was like hundred thousand dollars and put it into the movie. Oh, and I thought, man. well now. This is bad because now, like, 
people are now going to lose their houses and my dad will be like working until he's 100 and then at Toronto Film Festival we like doubled everyone's Fantastic. money i was like I'm so you know i can't help but wiggle into the entrepreneurial side of what we do yeah and i've done it my whole life you know uh, sadly when we got back to this country after the amazing years my dad was in italy and we grew up there he was broke and his fortunes kind of ran out so i was literally at ground zero and then i invented a business and made money and then i started making movies but you know, there's no difference. You know, you you go right to the fucking mat. <laughs> You're at yeah. the end of. You need to go make payroll. You know, yeah. and then a, a parental oh unit God. comes oh, in yeah. and helps you out. And it's a great story because. And I, that was I, just to get us through the shoot. We yeah. still had two more days of shooting. Then you had to go post, and then I had to go and post and beg and give everyone. Now, which show was this? I'm sorry. This was Cabin oh, Fever. Oh, this is the first one. This okay. was Cabin Fever, and the health problems we developed was terrifying. It wasn't like hundred thousand. The movie cost a million and a half bucks. Right. So we, this was just to get us. We still needed to raise another like seven hundred thousand to negative cut. So we got, found an editing wow. place that would let us cut for free. And George Folsey, the editor, helped us out, and his son cut wow. it. We were basically cutting it on favors. And then we'd like cut a 10 minute thing and use that to raise 300,000, which could get us to picture lock and then use that money. And we're on the mixing stage. We'd sent the rough cut VHS to Toronto Film Festival right. and they accepted us. And they're like, I was like, can you put us last? Which is a crazy thing to do because most people go right. to the beginning of the festival. Cause we just, we didn't have time to finish we it. We're, we need more time to do it. And then we were on the mix stage and this group of investors from Connecticut were supposed to wire the money to the sound studio. And I was on the stage and like, we can't start cause we haven't gotten the deposit yet. And it's supposed to start at nine, and we're waiting until like ten thirty in the morning, and the deposit's not coming. The investor was showing the VHS to his twelve-year-old son, and he said, "What do you think?" The twelve-year-old said, "Dad, this is better than American Pie." <laughs> and they wired the money, and it's like it's just like literally your the your entire career are in the hands Absolutely. of a child. It's that absurd. It's I, like Mahone Drive. Go to the ranch and give right. the cowboy the password, and right. everything's back on. I, I've had a hundred of those experiences in my forty odd years. I mean. I mean, I went to jail for a weekend. I mean, I'm talking crazy yeah. shit. So you you, you <laughs> live or perish by the sword, but man, I know just what you went through. Oh, you know. How I mean, we, close we, you were to We the do the thing, the, the, the razor, I mean, duct tape and chewing gum is how we made Cabin Fever. Right. We, we would give people checks. Yeah, but it was, yes, but it's it's a very well-produced movie. Thank I you. Mean, it's, well, it's we not, wanted, we shot Super 35, oh, went yeah. theatrical, like, <laughs> but we would give people the checks on Friday knowing that they would go to the bank, the bank oh, closed at five, and always. then all weekend we're calling and raising, and raising money, the money so that by Monday morning we could have it. I was the best, I terrified. Mean, I have a thousand really bad stories, but here's a good one. So you can't do any of this today, but mm -mm. As, as a young guy, um, you know, and I had many years that things were fucked up and then there was a good stretch, but before the good stretch in the 70s, yeah. early 80s, you also relied on the fact, not just the timing of checks and payroll and giving them late in the day so they couldn't run to yes. the bank, but you also relied on kiting checks, which I talked to, I forget who I talked to about in this very room. <laughs> do you know what that is? No, I remember okay, okay, I let me explain term, what it is. Explains, you yeah. can't do it anymore. So, but I remember, I remember hearing it. Here's how you invented 10 or 20 grand to cover shit when it was not in your account. So you, you have an LA account. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, guys. This is what we did. This is how we did. It was all for the art. It's, so you have, it's a, you acting. have your LA account, it's right? Acting. But you have to also have either a friend or you have another account under another name in New York. Mm -hmm. You have those checks. So when I deposited a check for 20 grand in my LA account, Charles Band Productions, whatever it was, and you were friendly with the bank manager, you had to always be friendly, mm -hmm. they would give you immediate credit. But it took three days back then for that check to clear your New York account. Right. And of course, you had to make sure by the time it got there, <laughs> the, the money, money was, was there. there too. That was years of that. 
basically it was a float. Kiting is probably the wrong it's a word. Float. But no, it's, I, it's, I get it's it. a float. It's, I'm getting flashbacks because I've <laughs> been right there. And then it and then you find yourself in that position again. I remember on Knock Knock, which was my fifth film, we basically put down our own money of like fifty thousand dollars to rent this house that we were gonna shoot. Uh, fifty thousand dollars. Or a hundred thousand. We like put it whatever it was. We're like, well we need this shoot and it was and I didn't have the money. So I went with the producer Cassie and I was a Colleen Camp call. It was Colleen was like, she's like, we're going to the Oscars. We're going to get the money for Knock Knock. And, and, and I remember Lorenz looking and going, you are out of your mind. We're supposed to be shooting this movie in a month. Or it's like, it's February. We're going to the Oscars to like beg for money. I'm I go. Someone who wants to go. That's and so talk. I go with Colleen Camp to the Oscars and we go out at the bar and I'm just like, I see like Jack Houston and, and we're just talking to people. And I see Cassie and Elways, and he's like, "What do you? What's going on? What are you doing? We should do another thing like Cabin Fever." And I go, "Well, actually, I got this movie, Knock Knock." And I'm there on my phone. He goes, "Can you send it to me?" And I send him the script. He goes, "I'll read it tonight." And then the next morning, he called me, and he's like, "Hey, man, that script's great. What do you need?" I was like, "Well, we need like you know probably three million. He goes, "When are you shooting?" I was like, "I don't know, four weeks." He's like, "You need the money right now." So I go, "Yeah, I rented a house. It's all." Right. He goes, "Maybe we should." I, I bet Keanu Reeves would do it. He goes, if we get Keanu, we'd have to pay him, but we could probably get that money. In like two days, we, the whole thing came together. And we were shooting. And, and I was like, I would have lost $100,000 if I had nothing. And then we didn't have the rights, and we had to get the rights. Like, it was it was such a mess. <laughs> right. We're shooting that. And even after the movie was done, and we sold it, Lionsgate's like, this chain of title is not really clean. And we oh, had to track the down the original writers because it was a dead title. It was yeah, yeah. the whole thing all the way through was so stressful. And but, you know, it's funny now you see Blonde is out with Anna de Armas and the director watched Knock Knock right. and cast her in the movie. He's like, that's my Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. But that was her first English language movie. So now people are like, oh, yeah, it's Knock Knock. It's a... So but when did I you do Knock Knock? Because I missed that one. So I'm like, I right, shot right. it in 2014. It came out in 2015. Okay. So a while ago. But then that was sort of and my was last. Was she in it? Anna was it? It was, it was Anna and was Lorenza. Was that her It was her right? first English language movie. Wow. She'd done Spanish language stuff. Right. She'd done movies in Spain. Good for you. She literally She's was over. Beautiful and so talented. She's incredible. Yeah. But she yeah. learned it phonetically. She didn't speak any English. But right. Lorenzo's Chilean. We shot it in Chile. So <laughs> she could find But like she would have to learn it, practice it, and say it phonetically to act in English. So, um, so going back to the entrepreneurial, like, seat of your pants thing, yeah. which we both have been through enough, is that behind you now? Are you still, like, when, when you, I mean, right now, because you're a successful dude and you got the new show, and we'll get into that as well. Do you feel that you've got, because it only, for me, literally, Maybe five years ago, I finally hit a place where, okay, I'm I'm good enough to do what I'm doing. I'm not really worried about covering checks in yeah. two weeks on a production. I've been through so much of that. Even though there were stretches that were awesome. We had to deal with Paramount. There was money flowing. But a lot of other not awesome years. But like now going forward, are you comfortable with all the shtick you're doing, your, your businesses? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I start like 30 different – like I started a digital company called Crypt TV, which right. is evolving. And now I'm just doing a – a VR project for Meta, which was Facebook, but they wanted to right. do a horror haunted house short that'll right. be out. And so I just went to Toronto and shot a VR thing and put it, that out. And then I'm doing a bunch of shows on. But you're doing it now. Discovery it's not, Plus. It's not the, the the model of five or ten years ago or fifteen years ago where you're. The, 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 I you still kind of am. <laughs> don't do it. I can give no, you some really I still, good advice. No, I now I don't. I don't. I will never go and shoot another movie without all the money. Yeah, there, there's always that bridge period where you're like, this might not come yeah, together, well, you, but I have to like. But I'm willing to lay out exactly. 10, 15 grand to go and scout it and prep it and oh, just yeah, make yeah, sure yeah. I can do this. 
But I will never be like, we're shooting a movie. It's happening. We well, your start story in three about weeks. the movie that was going for $3 million was shooting in a month and you didn't have the money. I mean, no. As a cautionary tale, whoever's watching this, this does not really happen in real life. That's a fairy tale that no, you were but, able to but, find but that, that money. But that, we, that it worked. The Colleen Camps had come to the Oscars and we'll go out to the bar and we'll just talk to people at the bar <laughs> and get drunk and that, raise the money that way. And that it worked. I mean, that's why. And then Lorenzo starts, she's like, I can't believe. She's like, you're insane. Like, this right. never happens. You right. pulled it off. But I had enough movies behind me, and it was cheap enough and at a price point. But it was suicidal. It's like that kind of gun-to-your-head filmmaking. Yeah, and it's But it's enough. bad for your health. Like, it's, you get, a, it's like, you know, I eat my stress. I get, like, high blood pressure. Yeah, especially because I was also in the experience of having to go to friends at times just to go, hey, I'm really in a bind. And yeah. the money's coming here, but I'm here, and I need this there. And it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that anymore. Having said all that, um, I, I do want to rewind again back to early on because there's a few mm-hmm. things I know about you other than your movies, which I've seen most of. But what was it like working uh, with Stern on Private Parts? Because I'm the a best. fan. Yeah. Best. I mean, I first I learned about Howard Stern when I moved to New York when I was 18 because he was only on WOR. He okay. had the, the WOR show and he was only on local New York radio. So people in Boston didn't know who Howard Stern was. He hadn't gone national yet. Oh, okay. It was just a local New York thing. And all my New York friends were like, you got to listen to Howard. And I remember being at Mohonk Mountain House in upstate New York on like his Saturday night WOR show, watching him do like ha- Hooker Howieywood Squares or something, <laughs> or Crown Heights Jeopardy or one right. of his insane sketches. So when from the time I moved to New York in 1990, I started listening to Stern. So I was a big Stern listener. So And then I started working in production. I was PA. Right. I was an office PA. And I was good. Like, everybody knew that I'd gone to film school. Right. And I was willing to do anything. I remember my right. father was like, if you're going to make it, it's like it's a pyramid. It's a very small group at the top. you got to be willing to – you have to be last man standing. You have to right. outwork everyone. You have to be with a smile on your Smart face. Smart dad. 27 – like, like, he's like, the stuff you'll do at 18, you'll never do at 23. Don't go to grad school. Like, start right. working on the ground, on Great sets advice. when you're 18. And there's people that I met when I was 18 that are still, you know, like – Brad Pitt's producing partner, Dee Dee Gardner. I remember she was a third, she was a second AD on a movie I was a PA on when right. I was 18. Like, yeah. you know, you see these people when, you know, I remember when I was Fred Zolo's assistant answering phones. So I met Colin Camp, Mark mm. Berg, David Lynch, right. like all these people that somehow you see later in your life, some of whom you work with, some of you just sort of nod and they're like, I remember you 30 years ago right. busting your ass. Your dad answering sounds the phone. so amazing. I, I, I was Brooklyn. blessed to I mean, yeah. beautiful, amazing father. And again, I, I was lucky that I actually grew up on all these movies. Yeah, I can't, that's it's all I like can my dream. That's it's literally incredible. My, no other but Corbucci, was, was Deodato the AD when Corbucci was working with I your dad? I think so, yeah. Because he, yeah, he did. Well, Cor, I mean, jumping back and forth in time, Corbucci was a gregarious, fun guy. Now I was yeah. a kid, so... But I do remember that he would literally get his paycheck and run to the casino. He was a huge wow. gambler and just blow it. So there was wow. always an issue the, you know, that Monday. How was he doing? Did he win? Did he lose? I mean, I remember these things as a kid. But, I mean, I was on, um, I mean, so many different sets. Early on, it was Epics with Steve Reeves. We went to yeah. Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. And I played Hercules. the son of Hercules. And this was amazing. A, a, amazing, amazing time. But then everything became... The Italian spaghetti western. Mm-hmm. So I think my dad makes six or seven of those. Wow! And, and Who are the directors? Uh, my dad directed, I think, most of them. Corbucci mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. Hellbenders, but we. I do remember because he became a family friend for years. And um, who was writing them at the my time? My dad and uh, he had a partner named Louis Garfinkel, a writing uh-huh. partner. Uh, went on to do some bigger movies. I forget what. But they But those are. whole that whole gang going on from the spaghetti western yeah. to the Jallo films. Yeah, we, we didn't know, do by the time. My dad's sort of tenure there was over, and things kind of turned not well for him and for the family. The Jallo thing was just beginning, so he never did any Jallos. I mean, early on, he 
I mean, my dad has an amazing history. He was assistant director with John Houston. They discovered mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe, uh, really? Asphalt Jungle. Wow. There's all sorts of amazing stories. And his father, my grandfather, was a very famous artist, a Jewish artist who only because of his craft um, kind of saved. His name is Max Band. I'll give you the three-second okay, yeah. story. So uh, it's, you know, World War II, Nazis mm -hmm. are close to invading, uh, going in, into Paris. And to, I don't, they, they weren't in France yet. Anyway, 44, whatever the year was, 43. And my father's uh, father, Max Mann, was a, a, a working, well-known, successful artist, which is rare in one's lifetime. Mm -hmm. He formed a school with Chagall. I mean, they were all tied together, Picasso, God. the whole thing. And then my grandfather, uh, Max, got a gig from the White House. And the gig was come over, uh, which took weeks, Right. Yeah. <laughs> Spend a month, and uh, he was commissioned to do the bust of President Roosevelt. Oh. So my my dad's an only child. So my dad, grandmother, grandmother, they sail across the ocean. They pack up their apartment, and they go to the White House to. This is uh, from where? Where were they? Paris. In Paris. Yeah. He born in. My dad's born in Paris. He. My dad was sixteen. Didn't speak a word of English. Anyway, they go to the White House. They were there one month. You know, this is sittings mm -hmm. and the thing. And then my grandfather became very friendly with Roosevelt because of the sitting mm -hmm. and whatever they were talking about, amazing stuff. And during that month, the Nazis invaded Paris and went and ransacked and occurred. The, little, the wow. few family members that we had, they were all taken gone. away. They're yeah. long gone. And of course, they went into all the Jewish apartments and Took stole everything. shit. So the, Roosevelt told my grandfather, you know, um, you know, you can't go back there. And I'm happy to make you, your wife, and your son an American citizen. Where do you want to live? And my dad was a Hollywood film freak. Hollywood, it's got to be wow. Hollywood. And that's the reason why they went to Hollywood. And my amazing. dad had a really amazing early career with I mean, not Charlie amazing, Chaplin and, and this, that, and the other, and the, uh, John Huston stories. He worked on several John Huston films. And then basically in the uh, 50s, he made a movie called Face of Fire. I don't know if you ever saw it. Um, I've never seen it. Yeah, I Bury the Living with Richard Boone. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah. Kind of well-known horror films of the 50s. And he made other films, but those were horror films. And then he didn't like what was going on here in television, and he wanted to keep making movies. So he said, let's go try Paris for a year. He took the family. We were like, I was five. My brother was three. That didn't work out. And then John Barrymore Jr. was a very mm -hmm. close friend of his, the father of Drew Barrymore. This is like the late 60s. Uh, the, no, no, the, the early 60s. And Barrymore says, come to Italy. It's Hollywood on the Tiber. This is where the action is. You know, everyone's mm -hmm. making movies here. You do great. So he helped him. The family went by train, Paris to Rome. And, he, and I remember, because we were kind of getting comfortable in Paris, never speaking the language, beginning to speak French as little kids. Mm -hmm. And my dad made a solemn promise. He said to me and my brother, he says, one year and we'll go back. Because we were missing home and yeah. friends and grandparents. Anyway, that one year turned into 14 years. Wow. So I basically grew up in Italy, learned to speak the language. All my friends were Italian. Where were you living? We lived several places downtown. Then most of the years, it was a place called Vigna Clara. And Vigna Clara is on the Cassia, kind of on the way out of mm -hmm. Rome, via Cassia. Mm -hmm. Just magical years. And, of Incredible. course, all my dad did was make movies. Oh he made movies God. in Spain, in Yugoslavia, 60s, in Italy, Italy, all of that. All of that. And, you know, like Dolce Vita, and I was a young kid full of piss like and vinegar Toby and Toby Dammit. Yeah, yeah totally. it's like being in Toby, <laughs> damn it. But here's one funny story now that I've set it all up. So we're in Spain, and my dad's making a movie called A Minute to Pray, A Second to Die with Robert Ryan, Joseph Cotton, mm -hmm. and someone else, okay, Western. And in the same hotel, this unknown Italian director with this American TV actor, Clint Eastwood, they're making a fistful of dollars, right? <laughs> Seriously, this is, so we were hanging out with Clint, 
and became friends. And that friendship actually lasted many years until he became the mayor of Carmel, and then my dad passed away. But anyway, so we're, we're there, you know, sharing a hotel and visiting each other's sets. And I'm a kid. I mean, I was maybe 14 wow. or 13, something like that. But, um, and you're visiting Leone's set. I love yeah. the Ace Wind. I love those late '60s anthology oh, Italian. Great. You know, I'm sorry, yes. just started watching Boccaccio '70. I've never oh, seen it. It's three, but great. Le Streghe, yeah, Le Fate, all of those. You know, Trepassi nel Delirio. Magic movie. But Clint Eastwood and Le Streghe is like amazing. You know, also not to, to keep talking about Italy at that in that era, but you know, being a big Fellini fan, I, I met him, and you know, La Dolce Vita had happened some years mm-hmm. before we yeah. got there. But until probably the late 60s, early 70s, Via Veneto, which is the main street. Yeah, you know, Canova. Like yeah, He's v- a, isn't he a Canova Cafe? Wasn't that his place? I don't know. There was Cafe de Paris, whatever. But Via Veneto, this strip of, it was like the Champs-Élysées yeah. of, yeah. of, um, of Rome, was still that world. Wow. There were Lamborghinis and Ferraris and people parading By around. The and people. No, no, this is Via Veneto, not the Spanish Steps. Via Veneto is where the... The Excelsior Hotel. It's, oh, it's okay, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful street. Yeah, 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 yeah no, it, place. but it's close to there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They're, well, everything's close. So, again, as a kid, just beginning to get a little older and, you know, horny and the thing, just going to Via Veneto and just watching this scene, it, it was just a miracle to be able to experience that. You know? And then Incredible. it kind of ended. The 70s, just be, everything became ugly, you know, things yeah, changed. Yeah, it's different, yeah, the Red Brigade, things So changed. anyway, yeah, it was it was a great growing up on those sets, and my dad had me do everything, you know, it's everything. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I did on set. I was like, just put me on a set, I'll do anything, right. just to be around it, just to know, like, art department PA, first yeah. team PA, basically, like, assistant to the director, assistant to the producer, great. production, like, it's amazing how many people want to direct, and they think by watching movies they know no what it is. They don't know anything. It's like it's like saying, "Oh, I watched a lot of basketball. I watched every Lakers game. I could go start. <laughs> I could coach them. I've watched every game." It's like you don't realize nobody wants to do the actual work. Nobody wants to actually right. get their hands dirty right. and learn the craft and the process. I mean, I was on set for probably ten years before I directed Cabin Fever, and it's a good thing I had the ten years of just eating shit on sets, and I did budgets well, and schedules and okay. prep. Wow. Yeah, no one would give me money. Right. They're like, who the fuck are you? You know, you're 22 <laughs> going, give me a million and a half dollars. Like, yeah, okay, if you do a movie for 100000 And then everyone, Blair Witch comes out, and they go, we'll do it for 5000 oh, That's what, like, they just did. Well, well, it's a little bit different than that. Right. <laughs> so, but, you know, people think that, like, th- there, is a, there is no shortcut. There's no magic. Everybody wants it instantly. No. Um, but you can't, like, that is the joy. My parents were big on, like, you know, the journey is the reward. The you were so lucky to such great parents, you know. They were. And it's it sucks, but the, all those things that suck, like that worst when you're out at, I remember it was, you know, Tompkins Square Park. It's zero degrees. I was in this TV show, Central Park West, and there's, like, crack addicts. There's a fight with crack addicts in the street. And they're like, Eli, go take care of it. I was like, okay. So I yeah, went like, to craft kind of services. Sh- I go, give me all your fucking soup. And right. I walk out in the middle of homeless people like fighting, trying to kill each other. Right. And I'm this like white kid with a trace and they're like, what are you doing? And I go, I'm so sorry to bother you guys. Um, we're shooting, <laughs> I, already we're, see I go, we're shooting up on the fifth floor right there. And we have all this extra soup and we were gonna throw it out, but I was just curious if anybody, you guys wanted it. And they were so stunned, they're like, yeah, okay. And they went out and they all took the soup and they're like, are we making noise? I go, well, 
I don't know, maybe if you could just, when we're rolling, if you guys could keep quiet, I'm here with a walkie. They're like, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, sorry. And we sat and oh, said, too, but I'm like, we got, story. do you know what I mean? It's like that, it's so easy. I was like, yeah. you don't come out and go, we're making a movie. You just come out with soup and every, like, I would always, do it with always. construction workers. I was like, do you have any ice cream? I'd walk up with ice cream and candy go, I'm so sorry to bother you guys. We have extra ice cream. Do you guys want it? And they're like, yeah. Or are we making noise? Like all of those tricks, but that's how you learn. And then. You know, when, when shit goes haywire on Cabin Fever, you're like, okay, I can do this, I can do that. You know, I know, you, you, I know you, how to schedule, I know how to budget, I know how to post it. And growing up in your you fa- can't the family me. that you had and, and your Italian relationships and me in Italy, um, you know, it's about being simpatico, which means Simpat- sympathetic. Yes. It's, it's about being, I mean, I charm my way in and out of so much fucking shit. Just, I mean, not like. No, I'm, you have to. You, but because it's just my nature anyway, yeah. you know. So, I mean, I. I mean, I'll give you one other quick Italian story. So I'm 15, and I'm already driving in Italy with a learner's permit from C- California. I looked older, so which is good. You know, I looked yeah. like, like I was 18, 19. I think you had to be 21. And because the nightlife didn't really exist, there was one club called Teen Club. And in Italy growing up, I went to a school called the Overseas School of Rome. There was also Marymount, mm-hmm. all chicks, really pretty chicks, and Notre Dame. That was pretty much it. Okay, <laughs> what can I say? And these kids needed somewhere to go. So teen club was in the basement of a church. Sometimes you'd have the pre- it's not a place where you got could really get down. Yeah. Not that we were doing anything evil. This is even before smoking weed. No, I get this it. This is just but beer. It's, it's you want to like grab boobies. You, know, you want to get you know the you slow be a down. Teenager and all that shit. Yeah. So I decided I'm going to open a club because a little bit more risque possibly. And I found a place right off of the um, Fountain of Trevi. Mm-hmm. It was a cantina, and Rome is built on Rome. So this was the cantina, which is down below, like a basement. It was actually the top of a four-story building buried. So we dug down to – I rented it for nothing. It was like $300 a month. We, my girlfriend at the time, who I then married, Mita, Mita in the name of the video company later, mm-hmm. she and I cleaned. We did. We black light, blue light, painted shit. And I, I decided to – so I wouldn't risk being arrested because I knew at 15 I couldn't do anything that I was doing. Like I, starting a business of a nightclub. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I did it all. I'm getting to the end. So I, like, I don't know why I'm telling the story. So basically, I thought, okay, since these are all students, if I sell a membership card to the club, and I called it Chaba for Charles Band, which is like really lame, I know. But if I sold the Chaba Club for 10,000 lira at the time, which mm-hmm. may be seven bucks, a lifetime membership card, then then it's like a private club. And in my mind, never talking to an attorney, I just figured it's a private club. And if someone says anything, these are my friends. It's a private club. We're not doing anything wrong. Fixed the place up, announced it, sold about 200 of these cards. So suddenly I got a wad of money. (laughs) In Italy, 10,000 lira was a bill this big. big. It's a fucking huge piece of paper. And I like it. And it was opening night. And of course, what happened was all these kids were driving those little motorini. Uh And these are kids age maybe 13 to mm-hmm. 17. The oldest was 17. I was 15. And everyone's making all this noise and shit. Then they got there and it was great. Of course, I had a friend, my closest friend, who we sold beer kind of under the table. At the end, he got high. He was just giving the beer yeah. away. So he had a bunch of drunk kind of fucking crazy kids. They all got on their motorcycles at about 11 at night. And ran. this is a residential area. This is literally yeah. 30 yards from the Fountain of Trevi. Yeah. And it was like, you know, 20 horses, you know, riding out of town, nothing but noise. So the next Saturday or whatever it was, I forget the day, the cops came. This is my simpatico story. The cops came and I told them in the club, because we had like 80, 90 people in this airless fucking, you know, <laughs> you know basement. Fire trap. Oh, yeah. oh, fire trap, no air, just fucked up. But I told the guys who were helping me, I said, if the police ever come, get me. 
because first I speak Italian mm-hmm. and I know I could charm him. Yeah. So I, sure enough, I was deep in like the second basement below the basement. My friend was, I was trying to calm yeah. things down. Charlie, the, the, the police, the police are here, the police. So I come out, hello, I kiss you, you know, my yeah. little 15 yeah. year old dude. And they go, um, who is the owner? And I go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm renting Italian, yeah. perfect Italian. They were freaked out that I, there's this American looking dude spoke yeah. Italian. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm renting this, and this is a private club, and I show my little card. And they said, well, um, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 15, <laughs> you know, 15. Uh, is there liquor down there? And anyway, they went down, and they said, well, your biggest problem is no air down here, other than the fact that you've broken every single law. Anyway, that was the end of my club as being an entrepreneur. Yeah. But I didn't get in any trouble, which I could have, because <laughs> I was nice. very simpatico. Yeah. Mi dispiace. Yeah. Really? There's an air issue? That's shocking. You yeah. Know, no, I know. You know. That's how you got to do it. That's how you got to do That's it. Anytime repair person, you know, we have this <laughs> villa outside Florence. You can't, like, if the guys come to deal with the hornets, which was the problem this <laughs> really? summer. Oh, murder oh, hornets. It's like they came off a murder baseball hornets. cap. These things are this big. These giant God. Italian hornets trying to kill me. And then, um, you know, the, the, the guy that comes to fix the dishwasher, you got to... Make them the coffee, oh, chat it like. For sure. So I get good at making coffee. So like, because then, 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 then they'll come back and fix it again. Because right. otherwise, if you don't have good coffee, Always. they're not going to fix anything. You know, I, I bought. I know, and I got nice. to, I have to shtick. I'd have to do like, eh, the margarita. Like I, I got a <laughs> you, but, song but it's and also dance the right way for to the be, air. You know? I know. For and the usually, because I've been involved. Screen guy. It's a whole thing. I had a castle there for years. I bought the ex- yeah, Dino Meridian, yeah. Studios, Meridian amongst many, the Pendulum. I bought the uh, ex Dino De Laurentiis Studios in the 80s. We made a lot of movies there for a brief period of time and ran out of money. But um, at the end of the day, uh, you, you not only have to be that way, but then you have to listen. Because anybody in any technical realm, if it's the garbage guy, the this guy, the fixer, then they're going to explain to you in vivid detail, in Italian, everything. why the everything. thing, the gizmo, yeah, the click knob, the Motorola, the guy. you got to talk. You gotta, you know, really, that's it. amazing. I know. You have to do all that. <laughs> that's why you can't get too I much espresso. By the way, I know. I, I looked at the you know Meridian, and I just thought, God, how does he deal with the, like, the electricity and, and the water and the air conditioning? I mean, just the whole thing of the villa in Tuscany was such a fantasy. And this summer really cured me of it just because I was like, the internet, if it's 500 megabytes a second download, it's at three there. And it got up to a hundred. So you have a villa. Yeah. In where in, is it again? It's uh, in Brunetta. Okay, I know exactly where that is. And beautiful. For how many years have you had the it's, place? It's been two years, but oh. now I'm like going to get rid of it because I just can't. I, it's like I can't. You know, I was going to buy it. I can tell you every trick. It. I've done this now since '82. Do you own a villa there now? I own a. <laughs> I own a. It was a fortress 500 years ago. Yeah, this and was just, built in 1250. Yeah, it was a Templar that's villa. Older, so this fortress was around 15th century. Then it became a mill. Then it just became a pile of rocks. It was yeah. a run, but most of it was buried underneath the ground. So the project, which has now been, I got this in 1990. We dug it up, and now we're with all sorts of permits, slowly restoring tunnels. Oh wow! It's it's the amazing. whole thing. The whole thing. Who's to, do you have to go there to I oversee? have someone because I owned a castle for 30 years in the same area. I and mean, that sounds, yes, I owned a castle, no, which you, I also lost during difficult times. But because of that, and it's in the same area, Jove, it's between Rome and Florence. Uh-huh. I have first an amazing, like my brother who works for me there. So I have yeah. a guy on point. Without that, you have, you have, you're you have nothing. No, you I, nothing. I, I don't have that guy and I don't speak Italian. You need the, the you, you no, you speak actually a really No, but you good speak, like, I need to know that level well, of technical, you know. Anyway, so 
I have the guy, but also because of the restoration. I owned the castle for 30 years. It was 100,000 square. It was the biggest castle. Yeah, it's amazing. This was like crazy. I know. But because of that, uh, over the many years I met, became friends with everyone working now on the on the, uh, on the, on the mill. mill or the fortress or whatever you call it. So it's A, having the guy. Very important. You need an on-site yeah. person. And then you just learn all the tricks. I mean, for instance, you said you had an internet issue. Yeah. You couldn't get it. But I need there's to get a million Starlink ways. Well, yeah. if you're going to get rid of it, who cares? But, you know, you, there's, a, there's a dish you can get that is not expensive that can pump in the internet correctly at the right. In other words, I don't know. You, you probably just signed up for some internet thing. Oh, no. We had guys, eight guys come out with the drones and look at the thing. And they're like, there's, there's basically like this internet because the cable only goes this far. So if you want to get this internet because it's not close enough to Florence, but it stops here. And the guys looked, and they bring a refrigerator, and they're like, this is what we need to power it, and it's going to be very loud next to your bedroom. I was like, this is insane, and <laughs> oh, it's no. 2,000 euros a month. Now Starlink exists. You can get the Elon Musk system. That'll do I, it. It's years just, ago, for the, not for the castle, because we were lucky there with some uh, connection, but um, I this have is a so dish. far. People uh, are just like, we thought you guys were going to talk about Puppet <laughs> Master. A bunch of I rented dicks. ghoulies on Wait a VHS. minute. They're talking about they're their, talking their about villa their and their villas. castle. We got to delete okay, this. Okay. No, no, no. It's okay. We could, this is. But no. Italian cinema, like you, I mean, Suave, there's so many of my favorite, favorite filmmakers that you not only worked with, you brought to yeah, that's America, true. and that's <laughs> what created me. That's what for Here we are. And, and, okay, but. All right, so Howard Stern, that he was fun So Howard Stern was the best. So I, so I worked, yeah. so Howard Stern. Right. We started Howard Stern, we went to Villas in Italy. Of course. So the production manager, like there was someone, I worked on this TV show, and they were kind of the crew, they were like, look, they're going to shoot private parts in, you know, this summer, but it's March, and this freak snowstorm hits. And right. they're like, they want to go and film this thing with Gary and these girls, where it's like holding, they're asking <laughs> to take their tops off, and they need like a PA to do it, and right. to take the film, and to take the releases. And we trust you, and we know you know, like, Stern. So I go, and they're like, it's this girl come in. They're like, Howard's first job interview, 1971. And Gary's like, can you take your top off? They're like, what? So he's getting these girls to undress. Cars are driving by, and they're like going, baba booey, baba booey. They're these strippers that he's got in the middle of the in the median. And I'm like the PA, and I have to give them their SAG papers. And I walk in, and the girls are changing. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. They're like, Eli, we're strippers. We don't care. Like, we do this every day. I'm like, all right, I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Oh, that's was, great. I was like oh, this nerd. Come on, you and then, and then they're, I've never. And then they're, they turn the camera around with Gary, and they're like, do you want to be on camera? Like, the, the DP didn't want to do it. And they're like, Eli, you got to be on camera. So I'm holding the camera, and Gary's, it's like in the reverse. Oh. And it's, so now I'm acting in it. And then they okay. go to shoot the I'm movie. I'm going to have to watch this again. Well, they, 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 of course you. they cut it because Betty Thomas was oh, like, let's Eli, let's Eli. But, they, but then during the shoot happened, they're like, do you want to work? They're like, you know what, Eli Howard's going to be, we're building an apartment for him at Silver Cup Studios. We don't want to leave him by himself. Do you want to just like show up at rap and, you know, and then you can just stay there all night with Howard <laughs> and then you'll go home in the morning. I'm like, yeah, sure. I can sit outside his door in case he needs anything. Whoa. They're like, because no one, there weren't apartments yeah, at Silver yeah, Cup. Yeah. And so... I would show up at rap, and he cast Mary McCormick, who randomly I'd been friendly with. Oh, so the okay. first day he's shooting his like love scene with Mary, and I hadn't met Howard, and she's like, "Bye, Howard, thank you so much, great day." And she's like, "Bye, Eli," and like grabs <laughs> me and gives me this huge kiss to fuck with Howard. So then the elevator door closes. I'm like, he's either gonna love me or I'm like, <laughs> "Bye, Mary," and he's like, "Eli, getting down with my movie wife." All right, how do you know? That me? Like, is and he was so funny, and he was so nice, and he used to talk about me on the radio, and then he had me on. You know, when I for like cabin fever, I oh, thought I went great, on for hostage. God, the, the sweetest guy. He right. was so nice, and I used to like listen to see if he talked about me on the radio. But it was this amazing experience. Then they were doing reshoots. They're like, they might want some more scenes with, with Howard's, you know, cameraman. 
So there's a scene outside the Met with a girl and a donkey and Baba Booey. And I was waiting. I was with a whack pack in the van. And the conversation they had was like, hey, can I see your daily news? My what? My daily news. I like to stay informed. And it's Fred the Elephant Boy and Crackhead Bob. He's like, your daily news. I mean, I was like, it was, I was like, wow, I'm like the obsessive Howard Stern fan right. to the point where I like sat outside his door every day and then listened. I still have my crew jacket. That's, that's the only crew jacket I say with my private amazing. parts crew jacket. Oh, wow. I was actually in a van with the full, the you know, the Cole Bass female bodybuilder with everybody. It was just amazing. I was so into it. That is so cool. I loved what an, him. What an experience. Loved him. And I got to jump to one more celebrity dude that I'm a big fan of. You got to tell me, uh, or us. A little bit about um, shooting in Glorious Bastards with Tarantino. Oh, it's the best. I mean, you know, I can only imagine. Oh, it was, it was a wild time. I mean, you know, it was. I was like, when he was writing it, I was like, it's Quentin's Jewish technical advisor. <laughs> He's like, like, what did you get? Jew bear? Is that what it was? The bear Jew, yeah. The bear like, Jew, okay. And I invited him to my Passover Seder. I was like, if you really want to understand Jews, have you ever been to a Seder? He's like, no. I was like, come to my Seder. And so like, we were, you know, Boston Jews. All My, my parents in New York, but, you know, we grew up in Boston. And so we were like... Doing our mass hole acts, it's like manage to not lie like that, dude. Like oh jokingly doing, right, right, you know. Right, right, right. But it was all, you know, reading the four questions. Like, why is this night different from all others, kid? You fucking retard. Kind of comedy like, saver. Throwing it, yeah. And so Quentin loved it and had a great time and kind of fit right in and let my whole family loves him anyway. So, you know, we did, and he's like, I think this will really kind of help me write chapter five and. And then he's like, you know, I can't get you out of my head as the bear Jew. Because right. I had acted in Death Proof for him. He's like, but this has got to be like a full role. And I remember I was like, dude, are you, are you casting? Like, I remember the night before, because he'd been auditioning everyone. And his whole thing is everyone auditions for me. And I was like, okay, he just doesn't want me in the movie. Then he called me. He's like, dude, I'm going to Berlin like tomorrow. Dude, let's go get dinner. So we go to dinner. And he's like, look, man. Bear this is here in L.A.? This is in L.A. It's like right. some dinner on Beverly. And right. I'm like, okay. I'm like, he's like, listen, you know. I really think that, uh, and he had me at his house reading the first 18 pages. He's like, right. I wrote it. And he had read me the whole Hitler bear Jew scene years ago, like when <laughs> I did a hostel, crazy. like when it was a stack of handwritten notes. So I knew all about it. Wow, and he's like, wow, okay. look, man, Donowitz has to be a 363 character. This can't just be like death proof where we come in and we throw in a bunch of jokes. It's got to right. be like a backstory. And I was like, wait, are you saying I've got the role? He's like, yeah, listen. Um, I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Should we have a toast? Yeah, cheers. Listen, it's got to be a 363. It was like. And I was like, I, I thought you were auditioning all these other, you know, Jewish actors. He's like, yeah, you already had the role. They were, I was auditioning them to see if they were going to beat you. And I was like, wow. And so I was oh like, well, listen, God. man, you know, cool I go, that? you're going to have another direct. I was like, I'll drop everything, commit my life to this role. This is the most important thing I've ever done. Like, if you want, if you need it, like, you have another director there. And I know you're racing to make the Cannes Film Festival because it's September. We hadn't shot yet. And he's like. I, he's like, no, I, I don't do second unit. I shoot all my own stuff. And then after two days, he calls me. He goes, get the fuck over here. I was like, I, I'll. people ask me all these questions oh, so about He unit? goes about, about Nation's Pride, this whole oh, black and no white idea. film within the film. He's like, you, I, I don't want to deal with all this shit. I just need some gunfire shots. So I prepped while I'd be like up at four in the morning, lifting till six, rehearsing, shooting. Then I would have production meetings about Nation's Pride while he was shooting the tavern scene. I shot that in Gurlitz and then I cut it. Sally Menke had my own editor. I was cutting and doing. Finally, by the end, I had an answer print of a five and a half minute film that That's I had shot. Funny. So in the theater, I'm blowing up my own. Th so Quentin's like, I need to do the shot of Zoller and Shoshana when Zoller's like thinking and who wants to send a message to Germany, but all the other shots are yours. I need to. And I gave him 
in three days, I had my brother come over. We got like 300 setups in two days. Like people, <laughs> stunt people doing. I mean, it was, I was shooting World War II. I was what like, more swastikas, more swastikas. It was story. so much fun. And so then at the end of the, and then he put my mom in as a Nazi. We got my parents to Berlin, which they swore they would never go to. They loved it. And they were like, it's Whoa. all changed. It was a big emotional moment. But at the end of the movie, I was like there with my parents, my mom's dressed as a Nazi, watching the premiere of my own thing. And then I burned the theater down. It was like the most crazy wild. And then, Afterwards, I went to the Cannes Film Festival and then the premiere, oh, and, I, yeah. and I just went around with Quentin. We screened it for Holocaust survivors. I like really stuck with Quentin the entire run through every festival, through the DVD mm-hmm. release party. I, it culminated at the Academy Awards when Christoph won. And when won. you think of it with everyone's history, our history, I mean, what always freaks me out is as a little kid in the 50s, I don't know, because of my the stories I heard and my grandparents who yeah. luckily because of art, artists saved our family. You know, it was because of the sculpture, Crazy. the thing that they were here and the Nazis in Paris. And I kept thinking, you know, maybe it was 57, 58. I mean, you know, World War II was just 10 years before that or 12 years. It's not, it's it wasn't like some medieval thing and it's fucking and like, it just happened. It just, ha- it literally just happened. And it still just happened. And, I know. I mean, what a mind blower for you to actually, when you're a family, to, your mom is playing the Nazi, you're about, there with Quentin, I you're mean, in frickin' Berlin. How about the fact that my, like, everybody, my, my grandfather's from Poland, it's like right. Austro-Hungarian, Russian, Polish, right. so... There's a side of the family from Vienna that was my mother's mother that there were like all the relatives and cousins that got out that like that right. anyone that didn't get out was killed. Yes. So yes. you're just like and to go back there and actually shooting Hitler. My dad wrote a story for the Jewish Journal called an article called My Son Killed Adolf Hitler. And <laughs> I was actually me at the Cannes Film Festival when people were like, how can you do this? How can you right. do this? And. I was saying, oh, it's kosher porn, which was like, Quentin's like, (laughs) but I said, you know, it's, it's like, even though the movie's fantasy, there's a truth to the fantasy. It's a fantasy that we've all had. So it's a real fantasy and there's validity in that, that in expressing that there's this cathartic thing that we've all thought of. What if we could go back in time and kill Hitler? Quentin gave that to us. He gave us that and it took a non-Jew to do it. And it was Quentin's really, you know, he's, he's really an amazing person. And I, I always thought, you know, now I can be an actor's director. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought of myself as, as like, I could do set pieces and moods and kills right, right. and fun and fun characters and stuff. But I never thought, like, I'm going to be an actor's director. It's That's always going to be about the kills. Right. And after that, I was like, now I have permission. Now I understand it. I've been there with Christoph well, Waltz and Brad Pitt. As we say in Italy, like, I maturato. Yeah. Matured. You know? Yeah. And you try, and that's where I never could have done Knock Knock right. had I not done Inglorious Bastards. Or then I'm, you know, with working with a star like Bruce Willis or, you know, actors like Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. And, right, right. you know, now you like have that full confidence of like, I know right. what I'm doing. I know how to do well, this. You're I, there. I'm, You've been there. You get I know it. how to act. And also once I was in that fire where we almost died because the fire burned out of control. And oh, we just, I didn't know that either. It almost collapsed. Yeah. It was really? very close to us, you know, and got... Burned. It was. It got serious, but it's an amazing sequence. But I was like, okay, after I've done that, I don't want to hear any shit from actors. Like right. I'm cold, or this is oh, too hot. I was like, that. no, see that right. scene right there? That's me being in an oven. That's real fire. And when I'm wincing and burning, and my hands are burning, like I passed out after that scene. But you know, having worked with thousands, and you know, and some real wacky ones, whether it's um, Klaus Kinski, or mm. uh, I mean. It doesn't really matter how you get there, you know. I mean, they, 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 I can't they, believe you got to work with Kinski. That was, I mean, which one was that? It was I mean, called Crawl Space. Crawl Space, yeah. Fucking weird movie, and he almost—I I didn't direct that, produced it. We mm-hmm. shot it at the Empire Studios, Ex Dino De Laurentiis Studios, 
and he had a beef with the director. So he pulled out a gun? He pulled out a knife to the guy's yeah. throat. Who was the director of Crossbase? David was... Schmuller was okay. this guy's name. Anyway, there's so many yeah. stories, but having worked with so many freaking Lunatics. Well, and, and, and wonderful non-lunatics, but at the end, it kind of, all that matters is how you gently get them to yeah. <laughs> where you want to go, you know, at a certain point. So what are you doing now, now that we've sort of got a little bit of a... Good Oh, and by the way, question. stop, stop, because I always forget the shit. Here's my book, okay? Uh, thank you very much. Which I think you'll find uh, reminiscent of many of the stories and your yeah. stories, because by the seat of your pants oh, yeah. sort of stuff, and... Yeah, HarperCollins came to me during the pandemic. And, uh, you oh, know, look at not, that. Not, what not, a business. Well, a little uh, spiel. But, um, yeah, I work with a wonderful biographer, a guy named Adam Felber, who was for 11 years the head writer on The Bill Maher Show, who I oh, also wow. gave the first movie to, Bill Maher. He made a movie I made called Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle yeah. of Death. That was the first gig before he started, wow. you know, for politically. The, all, all politically wow, but, that. um so what's the current Eli Roth shtick now? I mean, other than what you said earlier about the, the current shtick is there's I get these like different ideas for TV shows right. and uh, Travel Channel, which is going to be you know it's sort of like like don't think of us as travel. It's more like paranormal. Right. I I, I was like, what if you had a, a stalker that was a ghost? So we we're going to call it Supernatural Stalker, but. It's called a ghost. <laughs> a ghost ruined my life. A ghost ruined my life. Right. I thought, well, stalkers are like specifically like romance or upset. Right. But a ghost ruined my life. People whose just life are like, and then I, you know, but it's the ghost. You know, I couldn't go to work because the ghost followed me there. Oh, that's Found all these people. We did that for a travel channel, which then got absorbed by Discovery and is now part of Discovery Plus, which is, is now Warner is Brothers. Can... Season one is out, and then I did a show called The Haunted Museum with this guy Zach Baggins. Right, the show I heard goes about that. that and it went great. It's where Anthol- do we find that? These are on Discovery Plus. They... Tell people where to find all this stuff. You Discovery, know, we got... well, Discovery Plus. Okay. I mean, it's weird. And so now we're doing season two of uh, Ghosts of My Life. I have a new show called My Possessed Pet. I was like, do pets get possessed? I look <laughs> at my, my dog. I look at my dog, and I was like, you are possessed by a dead child. I'm talking to a dead child. Because he sits like a human, looks at me, does the weirdest stuff. He's the weirdest dog I've ever had in my life. maybe it's the interpreter who sees. It's possible. But we found people. It's like, yeah, we had a tarantula and then his personality changed. And it was. But it's all these people who love their pets, but the pets get possessed. That's very clever. Wait, so so you're too fast here. So you. You've conjured up these shows. Yes. You go sell them to Discovery the network, Channel. Discovery. Yeah, Travel Channel. And now you're you're making these. Yeah, things. we're producing them with this company right. called Cream Productions out of Toronto. So we have that uh, Urban Legend. They said they came to me with the, the we're like we don't want to continue it as a movie series, but how about do it as anthology? So use the same team from Haunted Museum. Oh, wow. That's coming out uh, in October on Discovery Plus. Hmm. Um, and then a special for the Haunted Museum we're doing, again, uh, there's a special on Halloween. I have the show, this thing called Trick or Treat that I'm doing for Meta Facebook that'll be out on VR. But really what's going on is I'm in the middle of this movie, <laughs> Borderlands, for Lionsgate, okay. which okay. is a big, fun, awesome action vi- uh, movie based on the video game. You're prepping this movie? No, we were shooting. Oh. We stopped and we edited. And then we said, okay, we're going to like do, like do some pickup stuff, like add some more scenes, beef some stuff up. Well, the pandemic has thrown, and we have Kate Blanchett, right. Jamie Lee Curtis, oh, Kevin wow. Hart, like okay. Jack Black, the most amazing cast. Jesus, well done. Coordinating everyone is really hard it's because everyone's schedules are so insane. Right. Because you get on a movie, okay, they're free, but COVID just keeps pushing other people's right. stuff. So we're basically waiting. We think maybe it's January, maybe so you it's March. Shoot we have like two weeks. Yeah, we just like we have like a little bit more stuff to do. Mm-hmm. But I can't get the actors all together to time. do it. So we're just literally in this weird thing where the movie's basically done except this other stuff. And then 
it'll be finished. So yeah, and then I have uh, other horror movies that like ready to go. But yeah, it's one of these things where you really do surrender. Kind of pre-pandemic, we'd be like, we're shooting it that day. Now you're just like, you know what? It's COVID. Anything can happen. I'll stay busy on these other shows. Or as Um, one of your Italian wives or your Italian lovers would say, ma tutto bene, con calma. Con calma, poco poco, tutto bene. Bo. That's the other one. Bo. Okay, so I've got to explain to people what bo means. So how do you explain it? Yeah. No, you explain bo. it. You're better than me. At no, this. you're in Italy. It's just like I don't. It's like bo. It's like in France to go. No, no, so, no, 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 no. And bo is like you got to set it up better. It's like dude. So if you ask someone in Italy a question and they don't know the answer to the question, it is literally a sound they make that means I don't know the answer, and it's bo. Bull. But they have to do this face. <laughs> You're with not it. doing it right. Bull. No, no, it's bull. 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 <laughs> or it's like also, well, what did you expect? Bull. That's like right, it's almost like, right. dude, it's like you can use a few different ways. No, no, that's true. That's actually very funny. You know, God it's almost it. like Allora. 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 So so any final words of wisdom to I mean, uh, all these remember, people are watching this, you know, they your story is a great story, it's unique. One of the things we have in common is uh, I was blessed with a fantastic father who I miss dearly, who, who, when I was a kid, you know, all my friends, mainly Italian, but some Americans, you know, the, their parents were sort of like the crew cut, right yeah. wing, sort of, they were, they were not cool. My dad was the cool man. Yeah. Because he was, my parents he the was cool just, parents, for sure. he was an artist and, and he was ahead of his time. And he was, I mean, when I started falling in love with music and the Beatles as a kid, he would sit with me and listen to yeah. it and love it too. And he was just like my brother. Yeah. Everybody loves my parents. Ever. Like what, like I, br- I started taking my parents around Hollywood almost as a weird experiment because they're like New York Jews out of Woody Allen movie. And everyone's like, we love your parents. <laughs> and people started hanging out with my parents without me. Yeah. They're like, I just want to have dinner with your parents. But that's we a love blessing them. to have. I love them. Parents. Yeah, no, it's great. Even I, mo- I bought one a house. Parent. I, I moved them from Boston. Oh, they're here. My now? dad was a professor at Harvard, so like, even a psychiatrist. Are they the, still And I was like, uh, retired. Oh, yeah, they're still alive. Yeah, oh, I was, good was with them yesterday. Ah, oh, sweet. Yeah, it's great. No, I, I bought them a house in Lake Hollywood, and they're like, so we could have a place for, you know, my nice. brothers are here, so we could all do family stuff there. That is awesome. They love it. They call what it their good, Hollywood what ending. Awesome, dude. This has Thanks. been so great. Trav, what a pleasure. Yeah, well, we could keep really talking, great. but, you know, there's a point where people are there probably, because yeah, a they're lot already of people. Over. <laughs> what would I tell any of people ask me for advice? I would say definitely, you know, Write something that's unique, that's your own, and go out and do it. And you can right. do it now with a 5D, with a camera. There's, right. you, know, you can shoot trailers. Find any way to get it done and just yeah. do it. But it's got to be something that's, that's a movie that you want to see that you've never seen before that only you could do. That's, that's what I think cuts through. It's, a, it's authenticity and originality. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's 90% perseverance. You just got to keep slamming away this is not yeah, and don't be afraid not an easy business and it's a marathon not and, a, and your you know? and your uh, your advice earlier is is true and tried you know yes film school and all that stuff but you need to find a way to get on a set and work for free you need to get into the craft Absolutely. of movie making so you get it you you will have it, no, it won't be a mystery you will get killed if you yeah. think you can just show up on a set and go that you'll get crushed <laughs> and by the way the actors will sniff it out in two seconds oh yeah and because it's not about what you, you know, all the prep in the world, it's just prepping you for tap dancing and improv. It's right. like, how good are you when everything goes wrong? Right. When the actor's late, when someone, the wardrobe truck didn't show up, right. when the camera breaks, like, yeah. how do you fix it and come up with solutions exactly. when everything gets completely fucked that's up? Being, that's the test that's of the director. That's also being an entrepreneur and living through crazy shit and yeah. knowing how to 
shuck and jive. You got to know how. Yeah. The other thing, which I, I don't know, I'm getting back and talking about my dad for a minute, but one of the things that he taught me, and we have a similar temperament, is whereas, especially back in the 60s, your favorite era with all these crazy movies, it was more permissible for actors to be completely dramatic and crazy. Totally I mean, insane. I mean, throwing tables Toby, over. Totally, damn it. Burst yeah. of madness on set. Yeah. You, and, Oliver Reed, Peter O'Toole. Oh, like, and I work with Oliver Reed, you know, on Pit in the Pendulum. Yeah. Oliver Reed, Lance Hendrickson. Anyway, but my dad had a way of just calming things down because mm -hmm. you also need to keep, you know. The, oh, the, uh, I was uh, a camp uh, counselor for three summers, <laughs> and I was in charge of a group of 10 and 11-year-old boys, and same that deal. is the same scale. Yeah. I learned more about directing yeah. being a babysitter and a camp counselor than right. I ever did in film school. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was the eye. It's like a karate kid when you suddenly wax on. You're like, oh, right. the paint the fence. That's what this is. Like right. all that training. Yeah. And I love kids. And I was great with them. And I was funny. And it was all that stuff. It's it's what made me, Good okay, I, I know this behavior. I know how to handle You this. are super maturo now. You're ready for anything. You're doing like nine TV shows and finishing the movie, I'm acting so. in a show, which is what? really fun. Yeah, <laughs> oh, called on. the show called The Idol that Sam Levinson's doing. I'm not he's like, so It's so funny. He did, he did the show Euphoria. It's yeah. Barry Levinson's son. He's a really fantastic director. And this is a series? Or? It's a series for HBO. He's like, okay. you want to be and, in it? And I was and like, can sure. Can we see it or is it not? I don't even know when it's going to come out. We're shooting it right now. What, are you, what character? What kind I, of character? I'm not allowed to say anything, but it's very funny. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. It's full on. It's the most fun I've had acting since Inglorious oh, Bastards. Amazing. Like for real. It's really like it's gonna be it's gonna be nuts. That's great. It's full on. It's all right, guys, remember all this, whoever's watching this and and tune in because you're creating so much fun stuff. Just keep them busy. Thanks again. Thanks Ciao. Ciao. Adop a presto. A presto. <laughs> That's it for this week. Remember to follow the freak show for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to watch our video version of the show on Full Moon Features and Full Moon's Amazon Prime channel. See you dudes next time.